some noise for the Lord this morning. We serve a good God, amen? 
In Psalms chapter 100, verse 4, the Bible says this. It says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. He's worthy, amen? So sometimes it's hard to remember when we come into the house of the Lord that no matter what we feel like, that our feelings don't determine that he's still worthy, amen? So as we continue this morning in our worship and prayer, we just ask, I ask you just forget about what you brought in this morning. Let your heart connect with the Father this morning because he loves you so much and he wants to connect with you. Baby. 
Come on, give him some praise. We bless your name, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. And I don't want to sing another song. Just to hear myself sing. Want to bring you more than into words. Because you mean so much more to me. I won't let the rocks cry out. They won't praise you more than me. If he doesn't touch your heart, then Father, I don't want to sing. Because if your presence isn't with me, I don't want to go. But if your word won't go, together. He's wonderful, he's powerful, and he's merciful. Amen. Slip your hands to heaven as we Merciful sing it. Singing it to your Father in heaven. Wonderful. Wonderful. 
we just want to thank you today that all these words that describe you are true they're all in the Bible that you are the great I am you're the creator of the world and the sustainer of it you are powerful you're the one that performed great miracles you opened the Red Sea you raised Christ from the dead you are powerful but not only Lord are you wonderful you're wonderful to us in the sense that Lord when we mess up and blow it you're right there to pick us up and help us get back on track that when Adam and Eve messed it up and alienated us from you, you adopted us back as your sons and daughters. And you've gone to prepare a place for us. And you've offered to be our Father and promised to never leave us as we walk this earth. You are wonderful. You said you'd take care of us. You'd provide for us. You're merciful to us, God. Your kindness overwhelms us today. Come on, reach out to heaven and just thank God. Thank God that he's not treated you as your sins have deserved. Thank God that he's protected you from all the danger that could have befallen you. You think it's bad? It could be worse. He's merciful. He didn't just throw the human race away and start over again. He gave us another chance. Wonderful God. Wonderful. Wonderful. You know, circumstances can cloud your view of God. Particularly if you're in a time of waiting, you're in a time of trouble, you're wondering what in the world's going on. If God was real, why is this happening? How many know it's important to let our focus be on the truth as revealed in God's Word? That in the midst of my darkest hour, come on, He still is the light of the world and He still is a good God. We're going to continue this morning in our worship, but we want to make a special place to pray for you. We'll pray with you about anything. How I many know everybody needs prayer? And I, I need you praying for me every day. But if you want someone to pray for you and agree, maybe you've got some pressures, struggles, problems. Maybe somebody you really care about is in trouble and they need God to help them. We'll agree with you and we'll believe God for a miracle moment. There's one thing in particular as I was seeking the Lord about this prayer time yesterday. I just, uh, I, I, my mind was drawn, and I believe it was the Lord, to a time in David's life at a place called Ziklag. He and his men had been out, and they came home, and a band of marauders had come, and they had basically destroyed everything they owned. They burned their camp. They stole all their possessions, and worst of all, they stole their families. And they came home, and they sat, and they wept and cried and got mad at each other. But finally, someone had a word of the Lord, and the word was this, pursue, overtake, and recover all. Now, how many know when the enemy steals from us, we can have a confidence rise within us that God can bring back what's been stolen from me? And I believe that might be a word for some that are here today. If there has been something in your life that's been unjustly taken, it could be in the material world, it could be a relationship, something that's estranged, but you feel that it's got a spiritual dynamic and it was taken from you and you want to believe God that God's going to bring that back to you and show you the pathway of that restoration, I want to encourage you to come and let us pray for you in particular. So Pastor Nick's going to lead us in worship again. Our prayer team is coming. They're here for you. And if you need prayer for anything, just slip on out of your chair and let's believe God together. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest. 
upon his promise just to know the saith the Lord Tells me that I'm fearless. Shares a melody. Tells me to repeat. He makes me whole. He reminds my soul. I more that He says I am. I
set me free. that again. Oh, I glad to be his this morning. Give him some praise. Come on, give him some praise. He's worthy. We bless your name, Jesus. He is such a good God. Amen. Why don't you turn to two or three people around you and just tell them how glad you are to see him in God's house. The change of our
Welcome to Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look is going to give you everything that you need to know about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide is going to give you plenty of opportunities for you to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. And if you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you. Drop it in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll get a free gift bag. Don't forget about Saturday night meals and snacks in between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. And the coffee bar is always open. We are so glad you are here, and we hope that you know there is always a place for you at Church on the Rock. We want to make sure that we're letting you know important information about our church, activities, and events. And the easiest way to do that is through text messages and email. We want to make sure we've got your current information. If you'll look in the back of the chair, you'll see this little red card. If you'll just give us your name, uh, phone number, and email, then that way we can communicate with you. I promise you we won't overwhelm you with communications. If you ever want to opt out, you can. But this is the way to keep current on our church. So please take time. Get in the back of the chair now. Fill it out and drop it in the offering. Please do it now. Thanks so much. Intimacy is the prize of marriage. It's the prize. It's when you get intimacy, you got everything. There will never be a day in my life I don't love Karen Evans. I've made my mind up once and for all, and I'll never change it. You have a 100% chance of success in marriage, but you have to do it God's way. update on our Imagine More building expansion plans. As you know, we're out of space and we've got some great things that plan for the future. And what we've been doing the last couple months is we've had to go back and do some further title research because there were some questions about a right-of-way. Well, I'm thrilled to tell you the research has been done and our architect is in preliminary conversation with the city now. So hopefully we're going to be moving forwards with that soon. I'm also thrilled to report today that we've almost received $200,000. That's great. Thanks for all that you're doing towards giving to it. It's going to be a lot of money, several million dollars, to do this, so every dollar helps, and I appreciate your support of this great expansion as we look forward to making a greater impact in the world for Christ through our Imagine More Building campaign. Your fingerprint. No one else in the world has it. It's 100% you. God made you unique for a reason. And here at Church on the Rock, we want to help you be the best you. Our ministry guide is full of over 70 different classes, life groups, and outreaches that range from Bible studies to hot rods to crocheting. Our groups give you a chance to connect with people who care about you while going deeper in your walk with God in an environment that fits you. Check out our ministry guide for a complete list of our classes, life groups, and outreaches. And go to churchontherock.org to see a video description of each life group. Church on the Rock, a place for you.
Amen. Welcome to Church on the Rock. How's everybody doing today? Good? Well, it's good to see you. We're so glad that you're here hanging out with us, worshiping with us today. Uh, just like the video said, we have our new ministry guides hot off the press last week. This is everything that's going on this semester here at Church on the Rock, all sorts of life groups, different things. But I want to draw your attention to Wednesday night. If you look on uh, one side there, everything that's happening Wednesday night is here, from life groups to kids zone to youth activities. Uh, we have a, a sanctuary class in here with live worship everything from kids to adults to marrieds, all sorts of things that are happening here at the church. And listen, we want you to become part of the church. You can come this Wednesday night, hang out. You can jump in on the Connect class. But listen, we're so glad that you're here. We want you to get connected uh, with friends, with family, but more importantly, with God. Amen? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 30. Very familiar passage here this morning. But it says this, this is the ESV. It says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. You know, this is a story that's obviously called the, the Good Samaritan. It's a story that Jesus told, and there's some different meanings in there. But what I want to point out is this Samaritan was just an ordinary guy. He was on his way to Jericho, and lo and behold, there's a man lying there in the road just about to die. And uh, he had a choice to make. There were two different choices he could make. Number one, he could help the guy out, which he inevitably did, or he could go around and kind of go about his day like the other two religious guys did. And, you know, it reminds me, every single day, every one of us, we have an opportunity to give. Amen? I believe that God puts opportunities in our path every single day to bless people, to bless his kingdom, and to give uh, what he may lay on our heart to give to further God's work. Um, just a few weeks ago, if you remember, we had our missionary here from Haiti, Jay Threadgill, and Pastor John gave the praise report last week. But Jay was talking about in Haiti right now, they're in desperate need of a youth facility for their kids. I mean, they're outside under a tent when it rains. And he said that this building was about $30,000. And I don't know if Jay, you know, really thought that we would give all that. I'm sure he thought several churches would come together. But Pastor told you last week that our church gave over $30,000 in just a weekend service to bless some people in Haiti. Amen? That's awesome. And that was an opportunity that we didn't really know about until it was presented before us. And I want to challenge you every single day, know that God's going to give you an opportunity to give. He's going to give you an opportunity today to give tithes and offerings, but tomorrow he may give you an opportunity to bless someone, to pray with someone, to love somebody, to help somebody that's hurting. Amen? God is looking for givers throughout the Bible. God's the greatest giver, but he wants us to partner with him in this great thing we call giving. So listen, pray, and let's be obedient. Amen? God bless you as you give. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he filled me with the Holy Ghost, how he healed me to the earth rose. When I think about the Lord, how he gave me 
let's praise the Lord just a little bit. I, I know it's a little complicated for the ushers, but we just want to worship the Lord together. Just reach out to heaven and say, Lord, I love you. I was never taught to say that as a child. I want to say it every day, Lord, I love you. Because I don't want religion and I don't want tradition. I want a real relationship with my Father in heaven. I just want to say today that I love you and I, I welcome your presence in my life. Would you just pray that prayer right now and just say, Lord, I want to be near you. The Bible says if we draw near to God, he draws near to us. And his presence is not weird, mystical. It's more than a feeling, but it's a spiritual reality that God is near. And Lord, we just want to stand before you today as your sons and your daughters and just say, Lord, that we want to be near you all time. We want to walk with you. We don't want to walk in your presence and then get away from it, but we just want to walk with you all the days of our life. I want you to just ask the Lord right now. Say, Lord, would you help me with my struggles? Because I just got stuff that pulls me back into the world. It pulls me down a path. I don't want to go down and shouldn't go down, but I find myself there, and it's just then I feel condemned and ashamed. And I, I want you to help me get over that thing. Just pray that right now, whatever it is. Whatever it is that Satan uses to tempt you and control you and, and cause this struggle in your life that makes you like a spiritual yo-yo, would you just pray, Lord, would you deliver me from that? Would you give me brand new desires, desires for godly things and good things and not the things of this world? Because I want to live for you all my days. And this is my prayer today in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Give Jesus a big hand today. He is worthy of our praise. You may be seated. Well, glad you're here today. In case you missed my new attire, you can't see it. I'm sporting some shoes today. You like it? I actually got my bluff called. I told this teenager, I said, hey, man, he last night, I, I said, hey, I'll preach better. I could preach better in those shoes. And he brought them this morning and said, here, try it. So... I'm just keeping my word today, and if it doesn't go well, you know why. And, and if it does go pretty good, well, you'll probably have the old man preacher again next week anyway. So let's, uh, hey, I want to encourage you. This marriage conference that's coming up this weekend, primo opportunity for to make a good marriage better and a marriage that's struggling a little bit to help get it on the right track. And I want to encourage you, Friday night and Saturday morning, Friday at 7, we've got child care. And uh, uh, listen, it's, we, we've done it several years now. It's a national simulcast. It's free. We just want to help your marriage. And let me encourage you, too, if you're single, I would get some other singles, and I would come, and you will not feel awkward. Well, you might feel awkward a little bit, but here's why I encourage you to come. Girls, look, don't just fall in love with some guy that looks good and you've got this good-looking car or truck. Because let me tell you, one day that truck is going to get old and he's going to get fat. I can just tell you. <laughs> And you're going to be riding around in an old truck with a fat man. And, 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 and what you need, what, what you need is somebody that knows how to treat you right and knows what marriage is like. Because you will not find normal marriage on primetime TV. They have gone insane. So anyway, single and married, I hope you'll look. Uh, Hope you'll come and participate in that. Well, we've been doing a series called, yeah, all, and it's about our relationship with Jesus. 
It's not about your relationship with your church. That's an important one. But this is a higher level. It's about my relationship with Christ. What kind of commitment do I have? And we have these little cute little all-in chips here. Uh, We've still got some in the lobby. But it's just kind of a reminder of the relationship I want with the Lord. Matthew 13, verse 44, uh, Jesus told us what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I suggest to you that when Jesus, he probably did this seven, eight times, where he described... That is the place where he's ruling, the place where people love him, the place where it's going to be like forever and ever. Jesus said, let me describe it. And one of the descriptions was this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned so he could get enough money to buy the field. Now, we've talked about that extensively, but basically what this is telling us is there's nothing in life more important than God's eternal kingdom. And whatever Jesus asks us to do, it may be a cost to it, it may be a price, it may be a sacrifice, but whatever he asks us to do, it's worth it because one day it'll be worth more than you have to pay today. And that's kind of the gist of the series. Now, how many know in a poker, well, you may not know this, I hope you don't, but in a poker game... If you're, uh, you got this great hand, I mean, if you've got all the aces and you want to bet everything, what do you do? You Come on, you can do this. Put your hands like this and you push it, you put it all in. Come on, all of you, you can do this one time. If I can wear these stupid green shoes, you can do this. Just, just, just kind of, you go all in for Jesus, all in for Jesus. Well, how many know Jesus doesn't want chips? But to be all in for Christ is our time, our talent, and our treasure. Now, last week we talked about our time. You remember a man named Ananias. The Lord just kind of showed up one day and said, I'd like to have some of your time. And unbeknownst to him, he was about to spend a few days with a man named Saul of Tarsus who would go on to become Paul the Apostle. He was a man that was blinded, that got healed, that got filled with the Spirit, that got introduced to the Christians and set on a course simply because this guy gave a little time to the work of the Lord. We talked about being all in with your time. You remember we talked about being all in with our talent. Now, to be all in with your talent doesn't mean you quit your job and you become a missionary. We looked at the example of Luke. Luke in the Bible was a physician, but he also wrote the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, and he traveled with Paul. He was Paul's traveling companion, planted churches all over the Mediterranean world. So his job became his platform for ministry, and he was all in looking for opportunities for Christ. Well, this, this uh, morning, we're going to continue with Time, Talent, and Treasure, Part 2, and I'll talk about what it means to be all in with your treasure. Because here's the deal. You can't separate your spiritual from your material world. And the bottom line is your possessions, your money, your resources has a huge ability to make a difference in the lives of the people of this world in advancing God's kingdom. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Don't worry. There's no special offerings at the end, no guilt associated with with this. But I want to challenge you because I have never met a serious Christian that had not allowed their financial world to be intertwined with their spiritual world. And let's talk about it and see what the Bible has to say about being all in with time talent, and treasure. Let's begin in Luke chapter 8 as we talk about all in believers are investing their treasure in God's kingdom. You know, if you go out and buy, for example, a pair of these green shoes, what's going to happen in, I don't know, probably two years, Nike's going to come out with a different color, a different style, and these will be out of vogue. These will be, you could pick these up for three bucks at the Goodwill in a couple years. So you bought something and it is instantly a garage sale item. 
But when you invest some of your resources in God's kingdom, it's eternal. It's an eternal investment. Now, I'm going to look at just briefly four examples in the New Testament about how people did this, and uh, then we're going to kind of balance it out for people that choose a different, uh, a different pathway. Let's talk first Luke chapter 8. As we give our money, it's a tangible way to advance God's kingdom. It's probably the most practical way. I try to put a dollar in the little Bible globe every, every day simply because it's not that much money. Uh, and before we know it, uh, a lot of people do that. We'll have $1,000. When we get $1,000, we, we, we try to buy Bibles somewhere around the world and put them in people's hands. Uh, the little Haiti cans. Uh, a lot of people do this. It seems like every other month we've got eight or nine hundred dollars just from quarters, nickels, and dimes. And guess what that does? That turns into feeding people around the world. So whether it's small amounts of money or large amounts of money, it makes a difference in God's kingdom. Let me read you a story. Luke chapter 8. Jesus is traveling and he preached and told the good news about God's kingdom. So mind you now, he's on a major mission from God. He's got 12 apostles with him, all men, by the way. And verse 2 says, There were some women who had been healed of sicknesses and evil spirits. Mary called Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and many others. By the way, there's a movie out that said Jesus married Mary Magdalene. They were boyfriend-girlfriend. One more lie from the secular world. Don't believe it any more than you believe the, the movie about Noah. I mean, you know, they just try to get you to the movie theater. But that's just a little bit extra there. Um... Notice what it said after that. These three women and others were there. But it said, these women... Yeah, see, when I do this, it means I want you to talk. And, and, and see, if you talk louder, I'll preach shorter. And then we'll all be happy, okay? So, so let's all say this. These women own money to help Jesus and his apostles. Now, why in the world would they do that? Why in the world? Here you And I suggest two, uh, two things. Number one, do you know the little phrase that said these women had been healed of diseases and evil spirits? Have you found that when somebody does something really good for you, you want to in some way return and be extra kind to them? And it's more than just the obligatory thank you note, but these women's lives had been changed by Christ. Doctors couldn't help them. They didn't have the medical science we do today. There was demonic oppression, and Jesus had just made them brand new people. And you know what? They said, I recognize a good thing when I see it. I want more people to have some of this. So they supported Jesus so Jesus and the guys could do the preaching and ministry. But I wonder what their husbands thought about this. Now, of course, we're just speculating now. We don't know if they were married or whatever the case was. But let's just imagine that one of these ladies had a husband, and uh, she's, uh, he's balancing the checkbook, okay, in their day. But he's balancing the checkbook, and he looks at all these debit card uh, transactions. And he said, honey, you went to the ATM machine 10 times. What in the world is going on? $40, $50, $100, $100 again. What are you doing with all this money, woman? She said, Honey, I don't know how to explain this, but I found some treasure in the field. And it's worth whatever price I had to pay for it. See, and just like people will tell you, you're crazy. I remember when I told uh, a close friend years ago that I was a tither. He said, I was nuts. And you know the argument, oh, the church wants your money. and blah, 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 blah. But you know what? When you take something tangible in your world, you can turn it into a life-changing experience. I'm so glad that somebody gave probably three or four dollars to the Gideons. It would have been, ooh, 1975 probably. 
They gave three or four dollars to the Gideons and it turned into a small little Bible. And when I was searching for God and didn't know it, a Gideon gave me that New Testament on the way to the Navy boot camp and I devoured it. And three days later, I wrote my name in the back of that Gideon Bible. I'm so glad somebody gave three bucks. Come on. So somebody could go and give me that Bible. See, that's exactly the treasure that these ladies saw. Now, let's move on kind of quickly. Uh, Matthew 27 are possessions. You can use your possessions to advance the kingdom of God, whether you loan them or whether you give them. But listen to this. Matthew 27. Joseph, this is, of course, after Jesus was crucified. He's a rich man from Arimathea, and he'd become a follower of Jesus. See, when you're a follower of Jesus, you just want to get on board if you're all in. Well, verse 58, he goes to Pilate and he asks for Jesus' body, which means he's dead. You know, where, where are we going to bury him? That kind of thing. He asked for the body of Jesus. But notice verse 60, he placed it in his own new tomb. Now, here's my question Where was he going to be buried? Now, he was probably like the rest of the disciples and had no clue that it was only a loner tomb for three days. You know what I mean? I mean, it was not a permanent thing. Nobody believed he was really coming out of the, out of the grave. But what was he going to do if he gave one of his what he needed away to somebody else? Now, that's the way I feel. If there's an appeal made or something that needs to be given or whatever the case is, what am I going to do if I give you what I have? It's like you look in your closet and, you know, somebody, you just, for example, let's say you're just in church and, and uh, you see somebody that's a homeless person, they came to church and they're desperate and need some shoes. You kind of look at their feet and they're about the same size as yours and you go to your closet and you think, well, God, I just got six pairs there. What am I going to do? I only have five. Or, I got 66 pair and if I give the green pair away, I can't I have anything to match that, that green dress. I mean, we just all think this way. But I want to suggest to you to let your borders grow a little bit. You know, over the years, one of the things that would just really inspire me because I had several friends, and, and during the time, we were building a lot more churches in the Mexican border, and, and we would, we would uh, uh, give vehicles to the pastors. And uh, it was kind of a complicated thing to get it across, but I'd watch some guy. Most people would do like me. I mean, you know, time for a new car. You trade your old one. You get the most you can. You put it into the next one. I mean, that's kind of life. But I watched some people, and at some level of sacrifice, they just gave their car to the pastor. I thought, well, is that not the coolest thing? They gave their car. They had to pay a little more, but what they're doing is they're putting a tool, come on, in the hands of a minister. I watched my wife this week, and she just, she, Linnell has become a different person since her battle with cancer because her battle, she's always been a good person, way better than me, way more spiritual than me, but, and that's the truth, uh, but, but this cancer made her realize, I'm not going to live on this earth forever. And I want to do as much as I can for God's kingdom while I have breath because I really believe this thing is real. And sometimes when we just live in this cocoon of goodness and no problems, we forget the realities of life. Well, anyway, she's going around our house a couple days ago, and I see this bag starting getting bigger and bigger. And she says, hey, honey, can I give away these dishes? And I'm thinking, yeah, she's got some in mind there. And uh, anyway, I said, yeah, sure. And, and before I know it, she's got sheets, and she's got towels and blankets. And, you know, I said, are, are you moving out? And she said, <laughs> I didn't say that. But, but she said, no. She said, no. no. She said, you remember the mommy and me store that we did, uh, the, the ladies that were near homeless and had kids and, you know, some living under the bridge, some about to be under the bridge? She said, well, we're there's people in our church that are discipling some of these folks, so it's not just your goodwill giveaway. They're discipling them, and, and one of them lost their house and, you know, Child Protective Services took their kids because it was just a, the, the environment in the house. She just couldn't take care of it. 
So they found her a brand new house to move into, and my wife's just going through our house, finding things to give her so she can have a nice house. And I think, well, isn't that the coolest thing? Because most of those things came out of our closet. Come on now. And they were not something we were using. And, and all our houses are filled with stuff like that. The key thing, though, you, I don't think you just want to give it away to anybody. I think you want to put it in the hands of somebody that's trying to walk with God. Come on, because you're an instrument in helping them. But, but, but when she gets down there with the stuff to, at the house to give to them, another one of our church members are there. They've got a trailer. Somebody had donated a refrigerator and a bed and all sorts of stuff. And they didn't want a tax receipt for it. Now, nothing wrong with tax receipts. I, I, listen, I want every dollar I can get from your uncle. You know what I'm talking about? So don't get me wrong on that. But I'm just saying the motivation is the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's what your possessions can do if we'll just open our hands a little bit. Uh, let, let me, Matthew 23. Now, this is interesting. Tithing is the starting place for investing in God's kingdom. And let me tell you why I say that. Matthew 23, Jesus, in his amicable way and trying to be friends with everybody, is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, Hey, you bunch of hypocrites. You're very careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb garden. Let me illustrate. Now, I love to garden. I've got collard greens going in the garden now. They're like cabbage leaves. and They're good, believe it or not. Put a little bacon in there. Anything is good with bacon. And anything fried is good. Even dirt. I don't know if you've ever fried dirt. But I, anyway, that's totally, totally off the subject. Anyway, but if you can imagine these Pharisees go to the collard plant and they tear off one leaf and they say, oh, that tithe, that goes to the temple, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, that's what I'm going to eat. And then they pick off another one, two, three, four, five, six. They're that meticulous, and you would think these people would be the most God-loving people in the world. But Jesus said, no way, your hearts are perverse. You ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. But notice what he said. He said, you... Now, did you know that it was even in the New Testament? It's even in red. Jesus, and what Jesus basically said, oh, it's important, but this other stuff is way more important. Mercy and truth and justice and forgiveness. See, But Jesus said, you should tithe. And, and, and if not one other verse in the Bible mentioned it, I, I would think that that's pretty important. Well, tithing, 10% of our income, it's a starting place for investing in God's kingdom. And offering, if this is new to you, an offering is anything that you would give over and above your tithe to the Bible globe or to whatever, the building or to missions. And, and, and it's birthed from the Old Testament. Uh, here's a verse, Leviticus 27, 30. It says, a tithe of everything, and that's, <laughs> I, I apply this, whether it's a birthday gift, a salary, a bonus, whatever, a tithe of everything from the land, grain from the soil, fruit from the trees. What does it say? It it is holy. Do you know in some traditions, uh, Catholics, for example, um, when they receive communion, they believe that literally that the, 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 or the wine becomes the blood of Christ. Now, that's a big deal. They believe it becomes the blood of Christ. So, therefore, when communion is over, the priest would drink it all, and then they would take a white cloth, and they would, well, they would wipe the cup clean. But you go to your average, you know, typical other churches, whatever's left over, they just dump it in the trash. 
Because in the Catholic mind, the communion, the Eucharist, is a holy, sacred thing. Well, what the Scripture says is that your tithe is the same thing. It is that holy, and it's not mine. But the challenge is, do I... And that's why when you see in the Bible, the Bible never says give your tithe. It is bring your tithe or return your tithe because it belongs to the Lord and it establishes a sense of of covenant ownership. Uh, uh, That's why Malachi said they robbed God when they didn't tithe because it belonged to God. Now, tithing is different than a tax that you pay out of some obligation. Our tithing is the way that we honor God and thank Him. You remember the first mention was from a man named Abram, Abraham. Abram, you remember he, his nephew Lot had been taken captive. And when Lot was taken captive in the wilderness, uh, God blessed him. He went out, he brought him back home. And the first thing he did, with no law suggesting this, he found a priest of God, Melchizedek, and he took a tenth of everything and he gave it to this priest. He said, what do you do that for? Thank you, God. It's like when you make your deposit. What I try, here's what I try to do. As soon as I get ready on deposit day, you get whatever check you might have got or gift or birthday or whatever, make a deposit, and the first thing I do is I make out my tithe. It could be five days before church. See, because I'm not given to support the church. I'm given to honor God. Big difference. Now, we appreciate what you give, but it's a huge difference because it's to the Lord. And I try, when I make my deposit and put it in the little ATM machine, I try to say, thank you, Lord, for giving this to me. And there's, it's an acknowledgement that God is our source. You, you realize one of his, along his lineage, Abram's lineage, Jacob was born. Jacob and Esau were on the outs. You remember, he'd stolen from him. His brother was going to kill him. He's running away. And Jacob says this, says, God, if you bring me back home safely of all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. Where did he get that from? He got it from Grandpa that he learned how to honor and thank God. So I just want to encourage you in your thinking It is a part of God's covenant, God's promises to bless those that are tithers. But it's not a gimmick, and it's not like a machine that you put a quarter in and the thing that falls out. But it's a covenant relationship with God, and I suggest to you it's the starting place of any giving. Now, let me give you one more here before we move on. Uh, It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's this. We can still give when we don't have a lot. I want you to hear me on this because I would, I would dare say most of us in this room, the largest percentage of in this room, would say, I don't have a lot. If I had a lot, I would give a lot. So, But listen, notice this passage. This is one of these passages you just got to scratch your head and say, what is going on? Now, he says, I want you to know what God and his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, let me paint a little picture for you. Paul the Apostle, going around the Mediterranean world to the Gentiles, he realized that there was a financial need for the Jewish saints in Jerusalem. And there was a sense of obligation that the Gentiles owed their spirituality, their heritage to the Jewish people. It was either a famine that was prophesied by Agabus or it was the persecution from the Jews and Romans and they were just poor believers there. But whatever the case, as you read Paul's writings, when he talks about an offering, he's talking about helping these Jewish brothers. But notice now verse 2. It gets interesting. He said, They're being tested by many troubles and they are... That means they had less than we do. But they're also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in... Now, how can that be true? How can you be very poor, have joy, and be very generous? Something has happened to their hearts. Verse 3, they gave not only what they could afford, but they gave far more. 
And they did it of their own free will. Nobody forced them. Nobody tricked them or manipulated them or said on the TV, if you give a dollar, God will give you, a, you know, blah, blah, blah. None of that kind of foolishness. It came from their hearts. And look at verse 4. They begged us again and again, which suggests to me that Paul probably knew they were poor and said, hey, look, what you don't need. Again and again, because they wanted the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. I've been on missions trips, and, 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 and we, we'd go to southern Mexico among the poorest of the poor, and you'd go out in a little village where these people just live on nothing. I'm talking roots and berries. And when we would come and, I don't know, whatever we would do, do a service or help build a church, they would kill a chicken. They'd go to buy a vegetable. I mean, it would, they would make us a Thanksgiving feast, and they didn't have it to give, but something happened in their hearts just like these Macedonians. They had found the treasure in the field. Come on now. And they realized that the treasure was worth more than what I've got. So that's just, you know, some, some scriptures in the New Testament. But let me shift gears a little bit here. And let me make this statement. Investing in God's kingdom has benefits on earth. Now stay with me because God notices our giving. Uh, Proverbs 19, 17. I want you to say this with me. Proverbs 19, 17. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. You know who he is? God. Which means God notices the things you do that other people may not see. Now I want to show you a video from Thailand the only way you can understand this is if you read the captions on the bottom. But also know this. There's a young boy, and this boy stole some medicine, and this boy went on to become a doctor. So with that, take a peek at this video and think about what we said. If you help the poor, you lend to the Lord, and the Lord will repay you.
all expenses paid 30 years ago with three packs of painkillers and some soup. This little boy that he helped, listen, not only did he pay for the medicine, but he gave some food, and it was his lifestyle because later on there's another poor man 30 years later that's there, wants something to eat, and he gets, why do we do that? It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not a, giving is not a gimmick with God. And God remembers. L Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, Give and you will receive. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. And then that exactly what happened? This little boy grows up, becomes a doctor, sees it's the man, and feels an obligation, come on, that God uses him. How I many know God's principles work around the world? It's not just an American gospel. It's the truth. Okay, let's shift gears. What happens, though, if I choose not to invest my treasure in God's kingdom? Because we make these choices every day. Luke 12, Jesus had a story on this. Luke 12, verse 15 Jesus said, beware and guard against every kind of greed. Now, greed is this desire that pushes us beyond what's normal. It pushes us for more and better. And Jesus said this, life is not measured by how much you own. Now, he clearly didn't live in America because everything is measured by how much you own. I mean, you know, listen... These shoes, you might could pick them up at Payless for 25 bucks, but if they have the little Nike lip, you're not going to get that for 25 bucks just because it's got that on it. And you can be in school, and what the kids are looking for is that. And if you've got that, you're cool. And you could have the same shoe without that, and you're not cool. I mean, you could have blue jeans that just make you look fine, but then when somebody looks at the back and they see the little sticker's not there, what does that mean? Oh, you're, you're just not in. This is America. And American consumerism, because we want to keep this GDP going up and up and up so we can continue to borrow and feel justified because of it, you and I have to be good consumers, and we have to be dissatisfied with what we have regularly. Most of us don't get rid of our clothes because they're worn out. Most of us get rid of our clothes because there's a new style. Well, it's because we grew a little bit, okay, and we grew a little bit, but, but apart from the growth experience, it's because it's a new style. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying we live in a system like that, and we define success not by the man that gave away the soup. Come on. But we define success by the guy that rides up in the new little Mercedes rickshaw. And it's a cultural perception. Well, this man is bought into it hook, line, and sinker. In materialistic America, one of our greatest challenges is basing our happiness and self-esteem on money and things. That's why, that's why the Bible offers us contentment. Paul said, I've had a lot and I've had a little. I can be satisfied with both. Now, I don't know about you, but it's easier for me to be satisfied when I have a lot. How about you? Absolutely it is. But you can be satisfied with a little. Now, let's look at verse 16. Now, Jesus gets into the heart of the matter. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So he's blessed, just like you're blessed with a bonus, a good job, whatever. And the man said to himself, now, if I were you, I write in my Bible. I would circle this question because it's the pivotal question of the story. What should I do? I got money in my hand. It's payday or it's sale day or it's deal closing day. What should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. What should I do? I don't have enough storage space for all my duck decoys. 
Well, pastor, build you a bigger barn. Okay, I'll do it. Would you rather me pick on you? <laughs> Honey, I don't have enough room to store all my shoes. <laughs> Back to the Bible. His decision... <laughs> My gun case is too small, and in the event of another world war, civil war in America, I have to have more weapons and ammunition. Okay, okay. Everybody's got it. <laughs> His decision was going to affect him for eternity, and the same is true for us, and it happens every time money comes across our hands. Stay with me now. I see a lot of you starting to panic. Verse 18. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones so I can store all my wheat and other goods. I'll say to myself, you've got enough stored away for years to come. Now, how did he know he was going to live for years to come? He didn't know it any more than you know it. God said to him, you fool. You're going to die this very night, and then who's going to get everything you worked for? I can tell you that easily. The lawyer and the guy who marries your wife. <laughs> Jesus said, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. The Message Bible says that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Now, look, there's only four things you can do with your money. All I can come up with, four things. You can spend it on your basic needs. You can have fun, and fun could be, you know, buying more turkey decoys, or it could be shooting heroin, whatever you think fun is. But you can do that, meet your needs, have fun, invest some for tomorrow, and then you can give some to God's kingdom. And I don't know anything else you can do with your money. What this guy did is he ignored the most important thing, and he decided to spend it all on himself. And can I tell you, it's a huge challenge because, seriously, none of us have enough. I mean, we do, but we don't. If you think about any kind of retirement, you, you really don't have enough. And here's the temptation. Let's say, let's say your tithe is $400 a month, and uh, you're meeting with your financial advisor. You're going to retire in 25 years, and he said, I'll tell you what, we just put this in a conservative mutual fund and equities and blah, 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 and you're $400 a month. It's going to turn into whatever, $250,000 at an annual rate of return of 8%. And you think, man, that, yeah, because Social Security may not be here, and I, I need to save. And you do need to save. But you don't need to save your tithe. You need to invest your tithe because what do you think is going to happen one day when they stop, the Fed stops pumping money and phony money in the stock market? What do you think is the same thing that happened several years ago and the same thing that happened years before that? Your $250,000, you wake up one morning and it's $100,000. See, we live in a world where nothing is certain. That's why it's so important every day, every week, do a little something in God's kingdom. But this man didn't do it. What he should have said when he said, what shall I do? He should have prayed, but he should have invested some of it in God's eternal kingdom. Now hear me. This is a shocking, sobering story for the person who refuses to invest in God's kingdom when he can. This man was selfish. His money was his God, his idol. And his actions reveal that God's kingdom was not as important and his choice affected him for all eternity. I'm moving on. It must be the green shoes. <laughs> Let me close. Matthew chapter 6. Now, 
If you go all in for Jesus, I mean, if you say, Lord, I'm going to give you a portion, I'm going to take a portion of, of the resources you put in my hands, and I'm going to invest them in your kingdom, you're going to be worried sometimes. And I'm just telling you, I've lived this for 40 years. You're going to be worried because how in the world are you going to be able to do everything if you just gave some of it away? Now, that, how many could say, I'm with you on that, preacher? All right. How many would never raise your hand no matter what I said? Okay. <laughs> Here's how Jesus set it up, and let's close with this. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus said, Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth. Now, listen, wealth is not a bad thing. Jesus does not forbid us to be wealthy. In Deuteronomy, the Bible says that God gives us the ability to obtain wealth. 1 Timothy 6 says, God gives us things to enjoy. So don't ever beat yourself up if you can buy a nice house, go on a nice vacation, or buy a nice car. Don't beat yourself up. The challenge, though, is it's not just about me and that. Jesus said, don't store up treasure on earth where the moths eat it and rust destroys it, but store your treasures in heaven. Now, the only way that can happen is when you translate some of your money into some kingdom venture. You know, we were rejoicing the other day, or today, you know, the, the little Haiti deal, it surprised me. $31,000, that's a big old check to write. Well, one person gave five times more than the rest of us. I didn't know they had money. We do our best to keep it very private. You know, we, people knowing your business, we don't talk about it. But it's like, I, I, I asked this person, I said, why did you, first of all, I thanked them. I said, why'd you do that? She said, I'm scared not to. She said, because the Lord told me to. And is any, any difference when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something there and when he tells you to do it here? I'm meddling. I'm moving on. It's the green shoes. Store your treasures in heaven. Look, where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. And if we're supposed to love the Lord with all our heart, doesn't it just make sense that we need to put our treasure where we want our heart to be? See, you, we live under the fallacy that something I really like is where I'm going to put my money. Not true. Jesus said, you're going to really like where you put your money. Now, verse 24. You, no one can serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. Listen, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You'll either be devoted to the God who directs you what to do with a portion of it, or you will despise his words. You cannot serve God and money. Now, if you choose to serve God, here's where the worry comes in. And this is all a setup to these next few verses. This is why Jesus said, I tell you, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Now, Jesus is talking about the necessities of life. Come on. He's not just talking about the bass boat payment, okay? That didn't go very far, okay? I take that back. But he's talking about... The necessities. Look at the birds. Now, next time you go home and you're drinking coffee and you're just sitting out watching this bird, I want you to think about this. Jesus said, look at the bird. They don't plant. They don't harvest. They don't store up foods. But your heavenly Father feeds them. And listen to this next part. Aren't you far more valuable to God than the birds? Where does your daily bread come from? The Walmart. Where does your daily bread come from? Red Lobster. Where does your daily bread come from? Listen, these are vehicles and channels that God may use, but what you eat comes from God. 
Listen, there's stories in the Bible where God made food appear, come on, that wasn't there before. He's still the same God. So look at the birds. You're more valuable than they are. If you're all in with your money, you got to trust me. Verse 28, why worry about your clothes? Because you want to look good, of course, but the only joke I had today and it didn't go far. <laughs> look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. The flowers. The daffod my daffodils are starting to bloom already. This little yellow flower coming out of the ground. They don't work. They don't make their clothes. Now listen, if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, that's for burning, for cooking, He will, what's it say? Certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things. Your heavenly Father already knows your needs. And then what's it say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. First, first, first. And his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Listen, come on. He is God. Come on. And when we're all in for him, we can trust that he'll take good care of us. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. I want you to stand to your feet. Well, I'll tell your neighbor it was the shoes. I'll be back to the conservative look probably. I forgot to ask him if he had athlete's feet. I've been thinking about this for a few minutes now. Pray for me. Before you turn off and get ready to go home, I, I, I want you to just pause just a minute because there's another parable Jesus told. It was the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower... Seed was sown, and the seed was the Word of God. And some of the seed, the Bible said, it fell along the path, and the birds ate it up quickly. And then Jesus told his disciples privately what it meant. Jesus said, Satan comes, and he tries to steal the Word. So what you heard today was nothing but reading Bible verses. And what Satan wants to do, what was real to you in the moments that you were here these last 35, 40 minutes... He wants you to forget when you walk out the door. I want you to take just a moment as we sing this song and say, Lord, what are you saying to me in this message? Because I don't want to be what the Bible calls a forgetful hearer. I want to be a doer. Just close your eyes as he sings and take just a moment of privacy with you and God. And I surrender all with me just a minute and Lord you know us better than we know ourselves and I don't need to make a new year's resolution but I do want to stand before you and say I've been confronted with eternity and the fact is I've got a limited number of days on this earth 
And if I am willing to invest my time, my talent, and some of my treasure, I'll never regret it because it's the treasure in the field. And whatever you would ask of me will be far more repaid in the days ahead. But when it comes to the material things in my life, I first of all want to say thank you, Lord, for giving them to me. I want to say thank you for my job. Thank you, Lord, for my investments that have gone well. Thank you, Lord, for wherever my check comes from. Thank you. Thank you for providing for me. And Lord, I just pray that you would help me live in a way that honors you, in a way that pleases you. Welcome, Lord Jesus. I don't want to end up like that man that got the big crop and said, what shall I do? And made the mistake of building more barns. I want to make sure that I give you my first and best because it matters for eternity. We're going to close. We're going to sing this one last time. And I want to make a personal chance to pray for you. Maybe you're here and maybe you made some real commitments to God. But you know when you leave that room, it's going to be pretty hard. Maybe you want to just come and seal the deal with somebody, pray with somebody. Maybe something you heard. Maybe, maybe, listen, maybe you're in debt and you want to honor the Lord, but you just don't know how to do it because you're so tied up. Maybe you just need to pray with somebody and say, Lord, would you show me a way out of this mess because I want to put you first. I don't know what it is, but we'll pray for you. <coughs> Excuse me. Most important thing I'd like to pray for today, though, is your spiritual life. Because I want to tell you something. There's something way, way, way more important than money. I don't care if you're the richest man on the earth. I read the other day there's over 2,000 billionaires. You could be as rich as all those guys, and there's something more important. It's your eternal soul. Jesus Christ made this statement. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And the reason is because his death on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. It paid the price. Adam and Eve got us in this mess of sin, and Jesus offers us a way out. But we've got to turn from our sin to say, Lord, I'm willing to walk away from my own life and I'm going to follow you. And Lord, I need your forgiveness and I want to commit my life to you. Maybe that's exactly what you need. I did that on August 15th, 1976. I gave my heart to Jesus and my life's never been the same. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe you've walked with God before and you know what it means to be a Christian, but you just got away. He didn't mean to. You don't know how it happened, but you feel the presence of the Lord today and, and you want to recommit your life to Christ. I want to encourage you to come in this prayer. Let somebody pray for you, and let us give you some things to help you on your journey. But whatever it is, we're just going to begin to sing one, one time through and then dismiss. But I'm going to ask our prayer team if they'll just make their way to the altar right now, and you want prayer. Listen, don't wait on anybody. Just slip on out right now, and you just come and say, pray for me, and somebody will stand with you. I, I need to get my spiritual life where it needs to be. Pray for me. I heard something in this message. Pray for me. Whatever it is, listen, friend, this is the most important few moments of the service, and it's just for you. I love you. Thanks for coming today. Surrender, Lord. I surrender.